Hello and welcome to SEAC Stories. This podcast is brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. SEAC is a university-wide multidisciplinary initiative that facilitates collaborations and builds on the expertise of our researchers to address the region's challenges. This podcast tells the stories of our members, exploring and sharing their research in and across the region. Welcome to SEAC Stories, I'm Natalie Pearson and today I'm talking to Dr Tashara Dibley, Deputy Director at the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. Tashara's work looks at social movements and NGOs in Indonesia and Timor-Leste and she's currently focusing on disability activism in Indonesia. We're actually doing this podcast this week for Disability Inclusion Week. Tashara, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Natalie. Can you start by giving us a snapshot of what the disability movement is like in Indonesia? Sure. The disability movement has actually been around for quite a while. Some of the first organisations were established during the New Order period by the New Order government, sort of peak representative organisations. And at that point, they were organised by disability type. So you have groups like Patuni, who support people who are blind, Gakatin, which supports and is made up of people who are deaf. But then also the PPDI, which is the sort of peak body for disability in Indonesia. Uh, and then there's also a women's organisation. So in addition to those ones, those are national organizations and they have branches across the country. Um, Then there's also, since the late 90s, a new sort of subset of organizations were established, which were, I guess some people describe them as disability NGOs. I guess they wanted to challenge the way those original organizations were established. They deliberately organized themselves to include people with multiple disabilities, and they would focus on particular issues as opposed to disability type. Those disability NGOs, a lot of them are based in Jogja, Jogjakarta, um, they support more community-based disabled people's organisations or DPOs. And then on top of that, you also have individual activists or academics who also join in on the movement in different ways. What are the main goals of the movement? You've given us sort of three levels there with the national level, the grassroots level and individual activists or academics. Have they all got different goals or is the movement a united one? Yeah, that's a great question. In some ways, yes, they are all united around the common goal of making life better for people with disabilities in Indonesia. They all have slightly different targets and slightly different focus. There are times when the movement comes together really well, and then there are other times when they don't work so well together. Do they have mechanisms in place to work together? What's been really interesting is how that has changed since COVID. And I would say that the movement has been better able to communicate cohesively since the start of the pandemic than before. Well, there are forums, national forums, events where activists get together, but then sometimes these are just limited to those activists who have the mobility and the resources to be able to travel. And some of the you know, more grassroots local organizations can't be part of those conversations. There have been some splits in the movement, deliberate or sometimes it's more just organisations kind of focusing on where they have their strengths. So one of the biggest achievements of the movement over the last decade would be the passing of new national disability law in 2016. And, And that came about from quite an extensive campaign that involved actors from across the movement playing different roles at different times. So some of those peak organisations who are based in Jakarta, with headquarters in Jakarta, they had really great access to national policymakers and were able to use that to get extremely involved in things like actually drafting the law. Whereas on the other side, those disability NGOs with their grassroots connections were able to collect feedback from the grassroots level and make sure that those ideas were brought into kind of discussions about the law. So in that way, they sort of can work together. So that's one of those issues that they really did come together around, the new disability law that was introduced in 2016. 
What was Indonesian legislation like before that disability law was brought in? So before that, Indonesia had a different disability law, which was passed in 1997. At that time, that law may have been considered by some policymakers as a real advance and that prior to that, there was nothing that really acknowledged the position of people with disability in Indonesia. But the whole framework of the law is really what in the disability movement would be called charity-based. So this is this idea that people with disability are in a difficult situation and need welfare and support and pity sympathy, those sorts of words and ideas and actions are kind of evoked. It was also quite discriminatory. The law has the use of terms that were not at all accepted by the disability movement. So chat-chat is a word that has had widespread use in Indonesia up until probably the early 2000s. It translates directly to crippled. This sort of language isn't accepted by the disability movement. Um, so that was something that the campaign for the new law was really pushing against. Indonesia introduced this new disability law in 2016. How does it integrate with the international standards around disability agency and policy? Mm. So the new law is directly based on the United Nations Convention on the Rights for People with Disability. The passing of that law is really the culmination of this long-term process of getting the Indonesian government to support this convention. So the movement started by lobbying the government to sign and ratify the convention, which it did, and then it took another 10 years, almost 10 years, before the law was passed. But because disability activists were actually sitting around the table, they were able to make sure that the law really lines up well with the United Nations Convention, the CRPD. So they've got the new law. It's been in place for four years. It's one thing to introduce a law or to sign a convention and then introduce domestic legislation. What about implementation? That's been the challenge. It has taken quite a long time for that law to be put into practice. It's still in process. And again, this is another area where activists have been pushing really hard. The latest developments in that process are, you know, once a law is passed in Indonesia, then there need to be these implementing regulations. And those implementing regulations are what determines who does the work of making that law happen and who puts the money in. Um, there's been quite a lot of tension around which ministries have been responsible and there's a tension between what the disability activists had in mind when the law was drafted and how that's being imagined and put into practice by policymakers. And probably one of the key differences really comes down again to how people think about disabilities. So for disability activists, problems that they face in their day-to-day -day life are to do with structures and attitudes that make it difficult for them to participate fully in day-to-day -day life. And so the changes that they're hoping to see through the new law are quite widespread changes that touch on really almost every ministry's remit in Indonesia. Um, so for disability activists, they talk about that as disability being a multi-sectoral issue. In Indonesia, traditionally or historically, disability has been treated as a social welfare issue. The money the government puts towards disability has been channeled through the Ministry of Social Affairs. And what's happened through the process of getting these implementing regulations in place is, again, we're seeing priority being put towards the decisions and the actions of the Ministry of Social Affairs over other ministries. There hasn't been a real change in the way disability activists would hope in the way the government is really administering disability. Indonesia's got this universal healthcare system. What role is there for disability within that? Is there an equivalent of Australia's National Disability Insurance Scheme, for example, or is there interest in developing something like that? So we recently at SEAC hosted a group of disability activists and they were very interested in this idea and we're looking for the parallels between the systems that exist in Indonesia and what we have here in Australia. And look, I think in theory that would be 
something that many disability activists would be hoping to see, but in practice, I think it's probably still a fair way off. So this is obviously a huge job, getting people organised around a common idea in a country like Indonesia. How do these disability activists and community groups and lobby groups, how do they gain traction with policymakers? A great question. And disability activists have actually been really creative in their approach to engaging policymakers in Indonesia. One of the most interesting stories I heard was around what some of the activists in Yogyakarta did in the early days when the convention had just been ratified. They brought together what these activists wanted. Their goal was really to see change in some of the provincial laws around disability. Um, They knew that they needed to have the government, the provincial government, on board for this to happen. And so they ran a training session. Actually, it was more like an information session where they sort of gave an overview of what the convention was about, what was happening in other parts of the world. And it was through this workshop where the goal was really just to educate. The government officials actually came up with the idea themselves that wouldn't it be great if we were the first province in Indonesia to have a disability law that aligned with the convention. And Jogja ended up being the first place to have a disability law based on the convention. Of course, signing the convention and introducing this law are big successes for the disability movement in Indonesia. Have there been any others in recent years? I guess one of the other successes that the disability movement has managed to achieve over the last while is increasing awareness and understanding about disability. And one of the key changes that they've made is shifts in the way language is used. So the word chachat is no longer used in official documentation. It's penyandang disabilitas, people who are living with disability. And the other commonly used term is defable, which actually is derived from two English words, differently abled. And this was the result of discussions within the disability activist community where they reached out to other activists as well, drawing on some of the ideas that they came up with there. They, they've got this term. Not all disability activists use it, but within certain pockets of the movement, that's a word that's used. That's one change that's happened. I love that word, defable. I think it's a fantastic word in English as well, actually, differently abled. I've had the opportunity to take quite a number of undergraduate students to Indonesia on interdisciplinary field schools to learn about disability and inclusion. And one of the things that they're quite interested in, of course, and you've touched on it already, is this difference between the medical and the social models of disability. But they're also very interested in physical disabilities and other types of disabilities. Are you able to talk a little bit about that? So one of the things that I guess one of the relics of the way the movement was started, dividing people with disability into these different organisations based on their disability type, was that it was difficult and continues sometimes to be difficult for people with different disabilities to see that they have common goals. And that's part of what the movement has also been doing, to sort of reframe the objectives of some organisations, to make it less about you know, meeting the needs of their constituents to meeting the needs of the movement and people with disability as a whole in Indonesia. And there still are logistical challenges when you have people who are deaf and blind in the room making sure that it's accessible to everyone. Probably one of the big gaps that is slowly being addressed, but one of the big gaps in the movement is how to integrate people with intellectual disabilities into the movement. And that's something that, you know, discussions are slowly building up within the movement around how to make that happen. But there is a real, I guess, split between people with physical disabilities versus those with uh, intellectual disabilities and also mental health. So I guess it would be interesting to hear how COVID has affected the disability movement in Indonesia. Was it going in a certain direction and has it changed as a result of COVID? I think COVID has 
given disability activists a new set of issues to rally around. I think what became very clear at the early stages of the pandemic was that government officials had not really thought specifically about how to make sure people with disability were included in the response to the pandemic. So simple things like public health announcements not being made using sign language or, you know, that sort of thing that meant that a lot of the information about how to manage during these times was not available. The pandemic has also meant that many people with disability who work in the informal sector have lost their livelihoods and the support mechanisms aren't so strong. So that's an area where activists have been trying to provide support. It also has created new networks and new links between activists through the fact that now all events need to happen online. So there have been a series of different conversations happening that are shared through social media and people can join in from across the country. So in some ways, this is a great opportunity to bring activists together to share ideas. And I guess going back to that issue there of where government policy, it was clear government policy had neglected to consider the needs of people with disability. A group of activists from across the country came together in a group and decided to do some research. They realized there wasn't an evidence base to take to policymakers to make a case for why they should do things differently. So together they pulled together a survey. 1,600 people or so responded to the survey from 32 provinces across Indonesia. And they answered questions around the social and economic impacts of the pandemic, some questions around what they knew about how to protect themselves and their families from COVID. And the results of the survey have been used by activists in their local areas to lobby politicians on how to make changes. That is a really positive outcome, as is this shift to making everything a lot more accessible by moving it online, provided there are the accessibility requirements, of course, online. But certainly in Australia, people with disabilities have been saying for a long time that we should be able to make these things available online and not have to come into a campus or an institution to participate. And um, now that everybody's been forced to, all of a sudden, everybody's suddenly able to do it. So let's hope that some of those changes continue in the future. Thank you for sharing your research on the disability movement in Indonesia. We wish you all the very best with it and we look forward to hearing more from you. Thanks. You've been listening to SEAC Stories, brought to you by the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. Make sure to keep up with all our SEAC Stories podcasts by following us on your favourite podcasting app. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, let your friends know about us on social media.